Good morning. If you have a Bible and you want to open it up and follow along, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It's one of the bigger books in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, a big book of Acts, Romans, and then you get to 1 Corinthians. And there's a note sheet in your folder if you want to pull that out and take some notes. We are in a series about being fruitful and multiplying, and we are looking at that because that is something that God wants His children, His people, to be about, being fruitful and multiplying. Um, And we're not talking mainly about the physical fruitfulness and multiplication of people, although that is also part of God's plan, but we're focusing mainly on spiritual, bearing spiritual fruit, multiplying spiritually. And God wants us to, to pray and to live and to speak in ways that help other people become disciples, followers of Jesus who, who trust in him and live out a life of obedience to him. God wants us to be about that. So every day, every day, those of us who have already put our trust in Jesus, and, and I assume that's most of us, if you're here today and you haven't yet made that step, I'm really glad you're here, and I'm hoping you'll hear something that will help you come to that place of putting your trust in Christ. But those of us who have placed our trust in Christ every day are called to live on mission. That is, to to live in such ways that we help other people come to faith in Christ, to trust Him, because that's His mission. He wants His people to do it because that's what He's all about. Every day, Jesus is at work all around the world, seeking and saving those who are lost, drawing them into life-giving relationship with himself. That's Jesus' business every day, and he wants us to be about that work because he uses us to do that. Now, I ran across a quote recently that really struck me, um, you know, I, I want to share it with you. I, I said when we started this series a few weeks back that the elders here believe that God is calling us to greater faithfulness in this area of being fruitful and multiplying, uh, this area of reaching out t- to be more intentional to be more intentional about reaching out with the good news of Jesus to our neighbors, our coworkers, uh, our friends, the people in our life that God has placed there who don't yet know him. And uh, this author, his name's J.D. Greer. Uh, the book is called Jesus Continued. He points out in this book that that focus, that, that um, intentionality about outreach is something that the church of Jesus Christ needs repeatedly to be reminded about because we have a tendency to try to turn the church from what it's supposed to be into something else. The church is not a place. 
no matter how hard we try to make it one. The church is a people, a people who live in relationship with Jesus and who live on mission for him in the power of his Holy Spirit. So here's the quote. Greer says, in every age, the church faces the danger of degrading itself from a movement to a place, from a conduit, a channel of God's mighty rushing wind, to a sacred place where we seek serene spiritual moments, from a rescue station to a spiritual country club. And to that I say, guilty as charged. I see that tendency in myself. I see that tendency. It's all too easy to simply seek serene spiritual moments in my spiritual country club. Instead of seeing myself as part of this people called and empowered by God to serve as a spiritual rescue station. But that's why we're here. That's why God's put us here, and nothing less will do. And I firmly believe nothing else will truly satisfy. I I honestly believe the longer I live that one of the reasons that, that many Christians are are frankly discontent, not that joyful, kind of frustrated, is because we lose sight of the mission and we're not living the mission that God is calling us to live in the power of his spirit. And that's where the joy, or much of the joy, comes from. Jesus says, I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and and your joy may be complete, may be full. So, we need to be about this. Today... We're going to be looking at a quality or a characteristic, whatever you want to call it, a quality that we have to have as a church in order to to be that rescue station, to be that channel of God's grace and His truth, to be a people who truly do, truly are fruitful and multiply. And we're going to see this quality in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and we're going to be in verses 19 through 23. Now we We just looked at this passage very briefly last time, but today we're going to dive in deeper and and explore it. And what we have here is we have the Apostle Paul speaking personally about his own example and, and describing his strategy, how he does it, how he lives on mission, how he's about making disciples, okay? So take a look and let's learn from his example. Paul says, beginning at verse 19, For though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. 
I do it all for the sake of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that I might share with them in its blessings. Now when I read this, the word that comes to my mind is adaptable. Being adaptable is an essential quality for fruitfulness, for reaching out, for sharing the good news, for helping others come into life-giving relationship with Jesus to become his disciples. We have to be willing to adapt to the culture of the people we're trying to reach in order to reach them. What we see here is that Paul was determined to do that. He was determined to adapt to whatever culture he found himself in so that he could connect with those people and he could compellingly and clearly present to them the message of Jesus in ways that they could then relate to, connect with, understand, and respond to. But here's the thing. Adapting is a challenging and risky thing to do. It's challenging and it's risky. It's challenging because, frankly, it can be very uncomfortable. You know, let's face it. We like the culture that we're familiar with because it's comfortable. You know, we, we, we know the language. We know the customs. We know what's normal and what's weird. Uh, we know how to fit in. We know how to be accepted. So it's really comfortable to stay inside of our cultural bubbles. I like my bubble. I like to be there. Now, let's face it. That's why some of you, many of you maybe, have chosen to live in Clark County, Washington instead of Portland, Oregon. You know, even if you work in Portland, you live here. Because, frankly, Portland is weird. They even say that. They admit it right on their bumper stickers, okay? It's a different culture. And comfort can be a very big factor in making our choices of like where we live and who we hang out with and so on. And maybe it's the reason you live where you live in the neighborhood you're in instead of another neighborhood where there's a different economic culture or ethnic culture or whatever. And if you go to work in a place where the culture is very different, well, it can be a challenge. That can be uncomfortable. Whenever you venture outside of your cultural bubble, it can be uncomfortable. And it can be risky. Okay, Adapting to other cultures can be very risky because not everything about a culture is good. Not even necessarily neutral. Cultures are a mix of good stuff, neutral stuff, and some bad stuff. And this is especially true when we're talking about adapting to cultures of people who don't know Jesus Christ and have no concern or knowledge of his values, his priorities. They, they don't get it. And so, you know, they're just embracing all aspects of their culture. And to try to, you know, adapt to that culture can be a risky thing. Because that's what we're talking about here. And the reason it's a challenge and it's risky is because the Bible doesn't give us direct answers to a lot of stuff. 
It doesn't always tell us all the possible things about a culture, that this is good, this is bad, this is gray, this is neutral. And it can be hard to figure out. Okay, so it's challenging, it's risky, but it's not optional. We don't get to say, hey, I like my bubble, my bubble's nice, I'm staying here. Okay, it's not optional if we're going to be fruitful, if we're going to be serious about the mission. Paul's example shows us this. If we're going to win people to Jesus, we have to be adaptable. And if it's uncomfortable, it's uncomfortable. If it's hard to figure out, it's hard to figure out. But it's necessary. And it's worth it. It's worth it. If we're going to live out the mission Jesus has given us, if we're going to uh, embrace that, live it out, and be fruitful, we are going to have to learn how to be flexible and adapt to the culture of the people we're trying to reach. Because frankly, it's really easy to get this backwards. It's really easy to flip it around. And we can act like, well, it's really up to the people we're trying to reach to learn our culture, you know, adapt to our ways, come to our turf, learn our lingo, follow our customs, conform to our schedules so that they can become believers in Jesus. You know, and basically say to somebody, hey, hey friend, you know, I've got some absolutely fantastic news to tell you. It's amazing. And it's so important. In fact, it's essential. You have got to hear this. This is a matter of life and death. But in order for you to hear it, you've got to come with me into this special building when it's open, and you've got to come and hang out with a bunch of people you don't know, and you've got to sing a bunch of songs you don't know, and you've got to listen to a guy you don't know talk to you about a God you don't know from a book you don't know. Now, I'm not saying that never works. But that was not Paul's main strategy. That was not how he did it. That was not his main procedure of being fruitful, of making disciples. He adapted to their culture. He did not expect them to adapt to his. And it's easy to get that backwards. So I want to get some help here from Paul's example and the way I want to go about this is to raise this question. How adaptable do I need to be? How adaptable should I be for the sake of the gospel? For reaching out, for being fruitful and multiplying? Okay, I'm going to give you three answers. First answer, I need to be adaptable enough in order to serve well. I need to be adaptable enough to serve well the people I'm trying to reach. I need to, to learn the culture. I need to adapt to the culture of somebody well enough so that I understand what their needs are and how I can respond to those needs and how I can help them and help them above all understand what their biggest need is and how Jesus is the answer to their biggest need. 
Paul says, though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. And we can see here what his basic attitude is toward the non-Christians that he wants to share the gospel with. And you might just stop and just ask yourself for a minute. When I think about people who don't know Christ, when I think about people of the world and who don't know him and aren't, you know, what, what is my basic attitude toward those people? Because I look at Paul's attitude and what I, it's, it's not an attitude, his basic attitude is not one of anger. It's not one of frustration. It's not one of disgust. His basic attitude toward unbelievers, the people he's trying to reach with the gospel, is an attitude of helpfulness. Helpfulness. How can I help people so that I can serve them, so that, so that they can know, so that they can experience, so that they can trust the love and the truth of God in Jesus Christ. What can I do to help people understand and know and experience that? It's the attitude of a servant. See, the only way I can actually help people and and know how I can serve them is to actually get to know them. You you can't really serve somebody you don't know because you don't know what their needs are. So I've got to actually get to know my neighbors. I've actually got to get to know my coworkers or whomever. I have to go outside the safety of my cultural bubble that's so nice and warm and comfy, and I've got to actually connect with the people that God has placed in my life, that he's put me there to be salt and light, to, be, to, to shine for him, to be distinct, and, and, and uh, he's put these people in my life, and I've got, to, I've got to get to know them so that I can serve them. The better I know them, the better I can serve them. And, and notice, that's going to require that I be willing to give up some freedom. You see that? Paul says, though I am free, I've made myself a servant to all. Servants don't have a lot of freedom. Servants don't get to set their own agenda. Servants don't get to live however they please do their own thing. Now, Paul wasn't actually a servant, but he willingly lived like one. And what that means is he willingly gave up freedoms that were legitimately his for the sake of the cause. You know, just for one example, uh, the freedom to eat whatever he wanted, okay? Now, Paul knew, because Jesus had made it clear that many of the ceremonial laws of of the Old Covenant, being part of the nation of Israel, under the New Covenant, many of those ceremonial things had been superseded. Christ declared all foods clean. So Paul knew that. He knew he could eat whatever he wanted. Um, But when he was hanging out with Orthodox Jews who didn't know Jesus yet and whom he wanted to reach with the gospel, he only ate kosher. Now why? Is he trying to somehow, he knows he's okay with God. He knows God's okay with him eating anything, but he limits his diet because he doesn't want to create an unnecessary barrier to the gospel. 
And he knows if the Orthodox Jews see him eating a ham sandwich, there's not going to be a good conversation here about Jesus. He also gave up his time, uh, you know, he, to spend it any way he wants. We know that in certain cases, he gave up his right to be financially supported in his mission work because he had people who were suspicious of his motives and he didn't want them thinking he's just in it for the money. So he willingly adapts and gives up freedoms for the sake of the cause, which leads me to ask me and you, what freedoms might we have to give up for the sake of the cause? What freedoms that you legitimately have might get in the way of serving people who need Christ? Yeah, it might have something to do with where you live, living wherever you want, or how you, you know, what you do in your spare time, how you spend your income, where you're, you know, prioritizing your budget and things like that. Things that you have every right to do if, if you're living to serve yourself. But living on mission means not living to serve yourself. That's not the way to be fruitful and multiply. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians 6.19. You are, and this would apply to anybody, who's put their trust in Jesus. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. So, I need to be adaptable enough to serve. To serve people who need to know the good news. Second answer, how adaptable should I be? I should be adaptable enough to win others. Adaptable enough to win others. Winning needs to become a driving motivation. Five times Paul says that his goal here in adapting to people's culture is to win them. Did you see it? Verse 19, that I might win more. Verse 20, in order to win the Jews, in order to win those under the law. Verse 21, that I might win those outside the law. And verse 22, that I might win the weak. Win, win, win. I got to win people. And then in verse 23, he says it differently. He says, I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. So, winning people and saving people, he's talking about the same thing. Well, what's he mean? Save from what? The clearest statement he gives us of, of save from what is in Romans chapter 5, verse 9. Since, therefore, we believers in Jesus, have now been justified by his blood. Justified means made right with God, declared righteous, righteous in God's eyes, acquitted in God's courtroom by his blood, by his death on the cross. Having been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. 
That's what he wants to save people from, the wrath of God. See, the gospel is the good news that God has made a way to save the guilty from his perfect justice through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Saved from his justice, you know? Sometimes people will say, I just, want, I just want what I deserve. I just want what's coming to me. I personally don't. Don't want what I deserve. God, please don't give me what I deserve. Because I know what I deserve. I deserve justice. I don't want it. I want mercy. And God has made a way. This is the good news. You know, we can talk about all the wonderful benefits of being a Christian and, and the peace and the joy and the purpose that it gives us. But you know what? Even if none of that were true, the gospel would still be good news. Because in Jesus, God rescues us from the wrath we deserve, the justice we deserve. And so Paul feels compelled to adjust his way of life however he needs to so that he can help people hear and believe and understand and respond to that good news. Because he wants to win them. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. That's what's at stake. Outside of Christ, there is only justice. Inside of Christ, there is mercy. There is forgiveness. There is eternal life. Paul wants to win people from eternal life, and he wants to save them from eternal wrath. That's why he goes to all the trouble to become all things to all people. See, if that's your goal, if that's your goal to win people, if that's your goal to save them, you live differently than you would if it weren't your goal. I want to quote John Piper here, and it's kind of a long quote, but I think it's really important. And I just want you to know as I read this that I'm reading it for my benefit because I need to hear it as much as anybody else, okay? Piper asked this question. Is one of the reasons that we make as little effort as we do in winning people the fact that we don't really believe the wrath of God is coming? What makes the gospel good news is that I am acquitted in the courtroom of heaven. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The sentence of an infinite holy wrath has been revoked in my case. Jesus absorbed it for me. Jesus absorbed the wrath of God for me. Therefore, as 1 Thessalonians 5.9 says, God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on. But oh, what a difference there is for those who do not embrace the gospel Romans 2.5 says, Because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Piper asks, I wonder if we really believe this. Very little in our world helps us believe this. This is so different from what most people think. 
There is coming a day of wrath and righteous judgment of God. Everyone, Paul says, will give an account of himself to God. There are only two verdicts and only two sentences, guilty or not guilty, eternal life or eternal wrath. And he says, but if you don't think about this very much, if you don't think about this very much, it will be very hard for you to feel the sense of sorrow and urgency that Paul felt for the lost people around him. What we need to do is ponder the wrath of God that is coming, to meditate, think about, reflect on, mull over, turn over in our minds, and dwell on the reality of the wrath of God until this figures as largely in our worldview as it did for Paul. We will not have the passion for evangelism that he had. God help me, God help all of us see what's at stake and be adaptable enough to win others. One more. How adaptable should I be? I should be as adaptable as the love of Christ. As adaptable as the love of Christ. Now I said before that adapting to the culture of cultures of unbelievers is risky because not everything about their culture is going to be good. And Paul very clearly is not saying anything goes, right? Because he says he's not outside of the law of God. He's not, he can't go outside the boundaries of God's will. So just to give you a, a totally obvious, painfully obvious example, okay, so if the person I'm trying to reach is really into abusing drugs... Well, that's not a part of his culture I can adapt to, okay? Because that goes outside of God's will. God's will is very clear. God's word is clear about obeying governing authorities, obeying the law, and not pursuing intoxication, okay? So that's an obvious one. But there are a lot of cultural things that are not nearly that obvious because the Bible doesn't directly address them. The Bible talks about these as, I think the phrase is, disputable matters or gray areas, you might call them. And here's a place where well-meaning people who love Jesus are going to have differences of opinion on what's okay and what isn't. So how do we figure it out? How do we figure it out? Well, Paul's answer is to live under the law of Christ. And what is the law of Christ? It's the law of his kind of love. His kind of love. John 13, 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Or Galatians 5, 14, The whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So it's love as defined by, as demonstrated by Jesus so it's not just any old definition of love. You know, frankly, there's a lot of that going on where people in the name of love are giving all kinds of bad advice. Jesus showed us and Jesus told us what true love really is. True love is always willing to sacrifice for somebody else's best interests, but you have to know what's actually in their best interests. And we got to get that from him. 
So we've got to look to him. We've got to learn from him. We have to rely on him. If we don't rely on him, I guarantee you, if we don't rely on his truth, his wisdom, his presence in in adapting, we will almost certainly, well, we will certainly fail. No almost about it. We will fail to adapt in ways that are truly loving. So the law, the, the law of love, the law of Jesus kind of love, is the thing for adapting within the boundaries of God's will. See, there's two big mistakes that are very easy to make on this. Two big mistakes. And I want you to think about uh, here, I got a picture for you. Imagine that this lifestyle of loving people in order to win them, to serve them, to win them to Jesus, is like a balance beam. Isn't she cute? And, we, and we've got to walk that balance beam of Christ like love to serve people and not fall off the two sides. And those two sides are if we go too far one way, then we fall off into separatism. In other words, we're, we're so preoccupied with, with being different from the world that we end up with no connection to the world. Because we're just, we're preoccupied with, well, I don't want to do anything, you know, bad here, so I'm just going to get as far away from bad as I can get. And then we fall off into separatism. We just stay in our Christian bubbles and we're not fruitful because we don't have any real connections with people who don't know Jesus. But the other side of the beam, it, we can fall off into what we could call unprincipled expedience. That's just, hey, whatever, anything goes, right? No rules. Let's just, whatever it takes. And so we get so preoccupied with adapting to the culture that we end up losing our message, we lose our distinctness. As Jesus said, the salt loses its saltiness. And it doesn't give anybody a taste of how radical Jesus' goodness is, his radical righteousness. So if we fall off one way, there's two ways to be useless here. You fall off one side and you're useless because uh, you got no connection to the world. And you fall off the other way, you're useless because you're just like the world. So how do you stay balanced? Short answer, you depend on Jesus like crazy. You depend on him to love the way he loves. And what does that mean to rely on Jesus like crazy? It means to pray like crazy. It means to immerse yourself in his truth like crazy. And it means to team up with other Christians who love him and are on bored with the same mission, who are going to pray for you, who are going to encourage you, who are going to hold you accountable. And if they see you falling off the balance beam, they go, whoa, let's get back on here. And then in that, in immersed in prayer and in, in his word and his people, move out, take the risks that love requires, and adapt culturally however you can without sin. Because that's the mission. That's the mission. Make disciples of all nations. Be fruitful and multiply. Christ died to set us free. He died to set us free from the wrath of God. He died to set us free to live a lifestyle of love. 
And the question I just want to close with is, how are we using the freedom Christ has given us? How are we using the freedom he died to give us? Are we using that freedom to live out the mission he's given us? To make the good news known? Or have we fallen off into imbalance? Are we too separatistic so we have no connection with lost people? Or are we too much like the world that they don't see us having anything different to offer? Because we're looking for joy and satisfaction and peace in all the exact same places they are. That balance. Walk in the balance beam. We're going to need each other to do that and depend on Jesus like crazy together. Now, when we started this, I just want to encourage you, I uh, challenge you to think of a couple, three, four people that you know who need Jesus and, and to pray for them daily. Okay, that's part of that dependent on Jesus like crazy. How are you doing with that? And ask one another. Ask me, how am I doing with that? And keep praying for those people daily, at least up until Easter. But that's not a, you know, there's nothing magic about that deadline. But at least till then. Let's do that. And pray that God will give us this adaptability to serve, to uh, win uh, by living out a life of love. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, I'm so glad that you have never wavered from the mission. And nearly 2,000 years after you died and rose again, you sought me out to save me. And I know everyone in this room who's come to that same experience is grateful. But Lord, may we not retreat into our bubbles. May we not be daunted by the fact that it's challenging and it's uncomfortable and it's risky. God, set us free to take the risks you want us to take, to win, to save, to be fruitful and multiply. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.